Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the E-Squared podcast series, hosted on Law.com and sponsored by Shook, Hardy, and Bacon. I'm your host, Scott Ferguson. In this episode, we'll join Shook Chair Madeline McDonough and environmental partner Tom Griever as they explore environmental risks. Let's join them. Welcome to E-Squared, a podcast series examining ESG litigation risks. I'm your host, Madeline McDonough, the chair of Shukardi and Bacon. I'm joined today with my partner, Tom Griever, who is an environmental lawyer and co-chairs Shook's ESG practice. Tom counsels and litigates for clients in all aspects of environmental law, including air, water, hazardous waste, Superfund, and natural resources damage. Tom, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Madeline. I'm going to toss out a term that we're hearing a lot about these days, greenwashing. Can you explain what that is and if you're seeing a rise in litigation from these types of marketing claims? Absolutely. Um, So greenwashing really refers to statements about a company or a product's environmental qualities that may not be true. For example, if a company says that its products are, say, sustainably sourced or made from fully recycled materials, but the facts don't support that claim, then the company might be accused of false and misleading claims. And that's really what greenwashing is. Um, And it's not really limited to marketing claims only, but it could also be claims made in investor communications or securities filings, annual sustainability reports that a company might issue, and other public statements. Um, And yes, there is absolutely an increase in greenwashing litigation. As companies are starting to make increased efforts to make statements about their own environmental performance and intentions, so too are the efforts to scrutinize and challenge those statements under various theories, including marketing practices laws and in some cases securities laws. Well, that's fascinating. One specific focus from shareholders, customers, and the government is to reduce carbon emissions to pre-industrial levels. How much are companies getting help from leadership, governments, or others in this carbon reduction? Well, it's a a complicated answer that really depends on where you are and who you are. But by and large, and with some notable exceptions, most countries are relying on policies and incentives that encourage the development of renewable or non-carbon emitting energy sources to bring their industries uh, into a world where they're not emitting as much and the carbon reductions are, are increasing. Some countries, and in some parts of the U.S., there are cap-and-trade programs that that force certain industries to reduce their carbon emissions, and then that generates certain credits that can be bought and sold by others as a way to offset their own emissions. But those aren't really in place everywhere. They're only uh, limited to certain parts of the country and in certain parts of the world. And so companies that want to say that they're reducing their carbon footprint may not have the availability to do so in a, in a reliable way because these markets aren't in existence everywhere. So one thing that governments can do uh, and are doing in many cases, in many instances, is to work to create these markets that provide companies the incentives and the, the opportunity to take advantage of carbon reductions that maybe others are making that they can't make themselves at their own facilities. What about renewable energy certificates? Renewable energy certificates are a form of um, offsets. They're not real carbon offsets, but they are marketable securities that allow a company to say that they are getting their energy source from renewable sources, i.e. non-fossil fuel sources. In many parts of the world, and in this country especially, where the fuel mix for energy is 
not only from renewable, but also in many cases from fossil fuels, natural gas, or coal. A company doesn't know necessarily where its energy is coming from, but with a renewable energy certificate, it can verify that it has purchased energy from a renewable source, such as a wind farm or a hydroelectric plant. So it, it allows a company to be able to say to the public, we can verify that we have purchased our electricity from a renewable source and therefore have reduced our own carbon footprint at our facility. We will continue our conversation with Shook partner and environmental lawyer Tom Griever after this. Shook, Hardy & Bacon is a premier trial firm serving clients in the health, science, and technology sectors. Whether you're crafting an ESG policy or resolving claims through negotiation or litigation, Shook attorneys build on decades of experience and are positioned to provide end-to-end -end support. We are back with Shook partner and environmental lawyer Tom Griever. Tom, let's talk about our firm for a moment. Some of these ESG issues are just now starting to surface. The firm, I know, has been around for more than 130 years. How are your teams in place to handle mitigating these risks, and what have you done so far? Well, obviously, Shook is known as a premier litigation firm with particular expertise in cases dealing with complex technical and scientific issues. And we have a wide variety of multidisciplinary practices, um, not just environmental, but we have a substantial environmental practice with lawyers that handle regulatory matters and toxic tort matters around the country. Uh, but environmental is just one initial in the ESG acronym. We also have uh, practice groups that specialize in labor and employment and corporate governance, diversity and inclusion initiatives are a big part of the ESG rubric right now. And we have a, a specialty practice in that area as well. In addition to uh, supply chain uh, analysis, companies are very concerned about how their supply chains are complying with ESG types of initiatives. And we can help companies evaluate their compliance with those uh, national and international standards as well. Well, there's no question that ESG is multi-tentacled, but I wonder, do you have any thoughts about what is coming up, what's emerging in the ESG corner for environmental litigation? We really see a few key areas developing right now. Uh, we talked about greenwashing, and that's certainly a focus in ESG right now that companies are, are concerned about. There's also a greater focus on environmental justice these days. We've heard about that in the news, and the current administration is, is placing a real emphasis on the impact that companies and projects are having in the communities that surround them. And environmental justice, we are seeing that play out both in the regulatory context and in the litigation context with communities challenging projects, whether it be permits or, or current operations. We're also seeing an increase in the use of public nuisance claims, where the perception is that existing laws don't provide enough protection to those in the surrounding community. We are seeing plaintiffs bring common law claims, often public nuisance claims, saying that corporate activities have, have harmed them, even though they might be fully authorized and fully permitted in otherwise legal activities. And getting back to climate change that we talked about, we're also seeing an increase in climate change litigation concerning damages from what are alleged as climate change events, such as droughts and wildfires and heavy storm events that are uh, causing damages, particularly on coastal cities, that it themselves are bringing claims against fossil fuel energy companies and, and others, blaming them for damages that might be suffered or might be perceived to be suffered in the future from climate change events. 
Well, it sure sounds like ESG is an emerging litigation trend that will only grow and grow in the coming years and maybe decades. So thank you so much for helping us understand this a little bit better. Much appreciated, Tom. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. We will have some future episodes about ESG in some other areas of law. For example, our public policy partner, Phil Goldberg, who has spoken and written at length about how climate change requirements may be better addressed in the legislature rather than courts, will join us on an upcoming episode. Also, business litigator and our DNI Initiatives Chair, John Lewis, will address government investigations in the ESG context. And Shook's pro bono director will talk about choosing pro bono matters that can make a wider significant impact, including in the ESG space. For more information, please go to the Shook website at shb.com and join us next time for more discussion examining ESG litigation risks. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode in the E-Squared podcast series, hosted on law.com and sponsored by Shook, Hardy, and Bacon. I'm Scott Ferguson. Thanks for listening. For more legal analysis and insights, please visit law.com. Thank you.